your friend. You don't go over there and shake hands, smile, hug their neck. Let's knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. You got to stop that buddy ball, smash everybody in the mouth. Take the running backs to the stand, run up in the stands and slap their mama. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, Pitches it, it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's got 40, something. 50, He's got it. 40, He's got it. 20, 10, He's got it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle! The doctor is now in. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. It is the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live on a Wednesday. The doctor, T.C. Martin, is down in H-Town for the World Series, getting a chance to check out both Game 1 and Game 2. He'll be back coming up later on this week. I'm Chris Wynn, filling in for him here on the T.C. Martin Show, hanging out with Numchuck here live in studio, beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. On your hump day, action all over the place. Last night, folks, we had game one of the World Series, obviously. The Vegas Golden Knights were on the road. First end of a back-to-back in Colorado against the Avalanche. They get the victory last night. Impressive way to bounce back from a four-game losing streak for VGK. And now they get a chance to face the Dallas Stars tonight down there in Big D before they come back home to play on Nevada Day on Monday. So getting an opportunity to kind of see, or excuse me, Nevada Day on Friday, right? So we have an opportunity to see this team uh, play two more games here in the next few days. And so we'll see how they perform down there tomorrow. And then, of course, uh, week eight of the NFL kicks off tomorrow night. Action across the board as well as uh, the rest of the World Series. Obviously, a lot of of you baseball fans out there that got a chance to see Game 1 of the Fall Classic yesterday, a bittersweet type of situation, right, for the Atlanta Braves as the Braves get the win. And, uh, look, they had a a, a decent performance offensively, but uh, also got a great pitching performance by their staff. Unfortunately, though, Charlie Morton, the guy that was on the hill to start the game, ends up with a serious injury that takes him out for the rest of the series. And so the Braves get the win, and the reason I say bittersweet, obviously, is because Charlie Morton is no longer going to be able to be a part of the World Series. And uh, look, you look you look at the situation. He started Game 1, obviously. Real good chance that he could have started both Game 4 and Game 7 as well, too. So obviously the Braves will have to kind of retool their situation from a pitching standpoint moving forward throughout the series. But the Braves get one up on the Houston Astros and get the and, – and which is more important – get a win on the road, right, in the World Series to be able to pick up games when you're on the road is massive. And so we'll, we'll get a chance to see whether or not they can actually go up two games to none in this series as well, too. So pretty big-time stuff there from the Atlanta Braves. A couple great guests today on the show. We're looking forward to it. Nick Monsanto is going to join us. He's the host of Against the Number Radio. Great sports talk show. I mean, Nick Monsanto is a guy – much like TC, much like myself, much like our friend Ken Thompson, he's, he's a guy who's a storyteller, right? But he's obviously a guy who's lined up when it comes to all things sports. The show is on Sports Byline USA, 
which is uh, a, basically a nationwide network and uh, you know affiliated also with Armed Forces Radio Network as well, too. He's going to join us uh, in just a few minutes. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, Raiders, talk some NFL, and bounce around some of the hot topics of the day. Also joining us is going to be Joe Arrigo in the second hour from 3 to 4. He's going to be joining us live in studio. Joe does great stuff with the uh, franchise Las Vegas uh, sports media. Everything from high school sports here in Las Vegas to UNLV football. He is wired in when it comes to the Raiders as well, too. So we're going to be talking a lot of pigskin today and uh, getting a chance to bounce off both Nick and Joe Rigo as we go through here on the T.C. Martin Show. So, obviously, as I pointed out, we're looking forward to Week 8 kicking off tomorrow. You've got the uh, UNLV Rebels taking on United, uh, Nevada Reno coming up on Friday. Up there in Reno, the uh, battle for the cannon is going to go down. And, of course, everybody knows out there, all the UNLV faithful understand it's a team still looking for their first win of the season and the first win in the Marcus Arroyo era for UNLV. How sweet would it be if they could go up there in a rivalry game like this and pick off the Wolfpack in a, in a rivalry game on a Friday night up there? It would be absolutely outstanding for UNLV faithful and obviously for the UNLV football squad as well, too. So... Uh, getting a chance to talk to Joe Rigo a lot about that as well, too, later on in the show. So looking forward to uh, a lot going on. you got just so much going on. And uh, uh, by the way, NBA action in full swing again last night. The Lakers took on the San Antonio Spurs. Both teams yesterday were sitting at 1-2 and two as far as uh, record-wise. Look, it's early on. The Lakers dealing with some uh, issues as far as personalities when you had the uh, little dust-up with with Anthony Davis as well as uh, Dwight Howard on the bench, but uh, able to uh, take care of business in overtime, 125 to 121 in that game yesterday, despite the fact that uh, LeBron James was out with a uh, with an ankle injury. Both uh, Davis and uh, Westbrook, big-time games, uh, dropping over 30 points, both of them, and both having double-digit boards as well, too, as the uh, Lakers end up rallying to win and beat the Spurs last night. So a uh, little bit of a slate in the NBA last night. You had the Warriors taking on the Thunder. You had the Maverick. You had a battle of Texas with the Mavericks taking out the Rockets. And uh, and a solid game also, even though the score doesn't necessarily show it, with the uh, matchup in uh, Salt Lake City as the Utah Jazz got the Nuggets in uh, a matchup of two teams that are definitely going to be factors when it comes to the Western Conference playoffs. And uh, Utah ended up getting the win there, 122-110. to in that matchup. The other matchup, of course, was the Knicks and the Sixers. Knicks, kind of a pleasant surprise this year so far. Um, you take a look at the squad, obviously, everybody knows who Kemba Walker is. You had you know a breakout season a year ago by the likes of Julius Randle. But uh, it was guys like Evan Fournier and, uh, and Derrick Rose off the bench that were big time for them last night as they end up knocking off the Sixers. This is a Philadelphia 76ers team, obviously led by Joel Embiid and uh, Tobias Harris and, and uh, Danny Green and the likes. And uh, Philadelphia drops to 2-2, two and two, the, the Knicks sitting at 3-1. and one. Winning basketball in New York for the Knicks, not something that we have seen as of late, i.e. the last decade or so when it comes to this squad. It's, the, the phrase is always dropped for basketball fans. Everybody always says this. 
when the Knicks and the Lakers are good, the NBA seems to matter more. I think it's kind of true. You know, it, it is, it is kind of true. When you're talking about the big markets and when you're talking about a team like the Knicks that has history, just not very recent history, then it's, it's usually a, a good sign for the NBA to have uh, those types of teams that are uh, very competitive and right there in the mix. So looking forward to the NBA season. Look, it's early on in the NBA. It's kind of hard to focus real hard because you've got, obviously, the World Series going on, and you've got, you know, we're, we're, we're deeper, I should say, into the NFL season, and there's so many storylines surrounding the NFL. And we're going to talk to Nick Monsanto about that, by the way, because there was just a breaking story that came out uh, on ESPN regarding the uh, the Washington football team investigation, right? And as of right now, the only real big shoe to drop, the only real consequence of that investigation has been John Gruden, right? It's been the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders is the one thing that this investigation has even dealt with, right? And has, has even been a consequence. It's, it's, it's bounced John Gruden out of the head coaching ranks in the NFL, and it has essentially you know, destroyed his legacy for all intents and purposes. This is by no means a defense of John Gruden and what he said. It was appalling. It was deplorable, the things that he said and, and, the, and the positions that he's taken. But there's still the idea and the notion that this investigation had other targets as well, too, and it was other people that they were trying to uh, for lack of a better word, focus on, right? And so now we have a situation where it, it, there's individuals that are not only subjects of the investigation, but people that actually participate in the investigation that want more info to come out, okay? And that's that's just the bottom line. And so, and we had the breaking news today, and I'll, I'll bring that up and I'll we'll talk about it a little bit. We're joined right now. He is the outstanding host of Against the Number Radio. You can find it on Sports Byline USA Network, as well as the Armed Forces Radio Network. Tremendous show from 3 to 5 every single day. He can talk about any sports topic across the board, including sports betting as well, too, and how those angles are interpreted. Nick Bonsanto joining us here now on the T.C. Martin Show. Nick, we appreciate you spending some time on your Wednesday. What is going on, my friend? Oh, man, I, like, I don't have anything else to do today, but I'm happy to be with you. I, I mean that. Seriously, Chris, I appreciate having uh, being on the program with you. It's always good to chat with you. Absolutely. And you know what? Uh, you, you talked about it. There's always something going on, right, Nick? When it comes to the sports <laughs> landscape, there's always big stories popping. And, uh, look, this is a story that's kind of lingered, right, since, uh, you know, basically two and a half, three weeks ago regarding, you know, the, you know, the resignation slash basically firing of John Gruden as the head coach mm-hmm. of the Las Vegas Raiders. And now the story comes out from John Kai from ESPN today that the attorneys for some former Washington football team employees are rejecting NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell's reasoning, right, Nick, for not making the investigation into the organization public, saying in a letter that their clients wanted anonymity but also a written report Goodell has said in a news conference at the league meetings Tuesday. They did not release a written report into the nearly year-long investigation. Year-long, Nick, investigation <laughs> into the organization and owner Dan Snyder because some who were interviewed wanted anonymity and uh, therefore no public report. 
Now, Nick, we've talked. <laughs> look, we've talked about this whole scenario, right, for the last almost month now. The right. only the only casualty in the report as of right now, of course, is John Gruden. Right? It hasn't. There's not. There hasn't been any consequences for anybody else involved. Well, yeah. And so it is. It, it's, so do do you think? And uh, and I want to get into it too. I want to get into Mark uh, Davis his his kind of response to this whole thing and get and kind of bounce this off you. But uh, do you find it uh, rather strange and rather uh, uh, surprising? I guess is is a way we can describe it that uh, that John Gruden is the only person that's faced any consequences regarding this WFT investigation. You know, Chris, when I look at this, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Uh-huh. First off, as far as the NFL going public with it, I tend to I tend to err I tend to lean toward the NFL side is because there were a couple that wanted an anonymity and they didn't want to put it out there to risk the potential that someone's name would come out that had requested their name not come out. I think that was done as a courtesy uh, in the investigation. So I don't know if I side with everyone that wants this whole thing public because they made a promise to these to, to this other person that they wouldn't do that. So they walk a tightrope there that's hard, and there are two sides. They can win with one side and they lose with the other and vice versa. So I, I don't know if there's a winner that could be made there. Uh, as for Washington, I mean, Snyder was penalized. Uh, you know, he's not really there in the day-to-day anymore. Uh, Gruden got hit, and the reason Gruden got hit had nothing to do necessarily with the NFL. It had to do with the New York Times managed to, again, find their way to get these uh, these emails and put them out there publicly. It was not something the NFL could sit back and allow to happen, especially with the way they are trying to have a more inclusive NFL. And and I think that, you know, okay, maybe somebody had it in for Gruden, but I'm not sure that it was the NFL office. I, I Who leaked that, okay? Who leaked those emails is what I want to know. That's the person who has it in for John Gruden, in my mind. Uh, at the same time, I, I don't know. Uh, if you put all this public, like I said, it's it's tough. It goes to each side. I, I'm really tossed on this. Look, I'm not upset. I will tell you this. I'm not upset. John Gruden took a hit on this. Not even in the least bit. Not not at all. I think that uh, whether whether they were obtained in in the most um, honorable fashion or not, they proved a underlying. Uh, thought process that he used over not once but over a a seven eight year period and that tells me that's how he is every day of his life if it happened over that period of time and that's something you can't have in the nfl i'm not saying it doesn't exist but you can't have it i'm really tossed though as to whether the nfl releases all this or not I, i really am i this was not intended to catch Gruden. It did. Um, and they made a promise not to release this. So it's really, I, I don't know. It's, it's six of one. It's half a dozen of the other, Chris. I don't have an honest answer, but I lean toward, I wouldn't release it because they said they wouldn't. 
And the Gruden, ca- Gruden situation came out in a way uh, that the NFL wasn't the reason they came out, at least to, to, the, to where we know today. He's Nick Monsanto. He's the host of uh, Against the Number Radio on Sports Byline USA, joining us here on the T.C. Martin Show, talking about the uh, situation with the uh, Washington football team investigation and uh, obviously the connections to the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, of course, Nick, uh, Las Vegas Raiders owner Mark Davis, not shy Mm -hmm. about uh, his opinion regarding this entire situation, and he uh, Mm -hmm. essentially broke ranks, right, with NFL owners today at the league's fall meeting, saying that he would – uh, I'd like to see a written report of the investigation in the, into the Washington football team, uh, quote-unquote, uh, as reported by Paul Gutierrez, who covers the team on a daily basis. Uh, probably, yeah, I think that there should be, yeah, especially with some of the things that were, I guess, charged. Yeah, I believe so. I think people deserve a written report, especially the people that were, quote, victims. Now, Davis talked for about uh, a little under 15 minutes uh, in a wide range of uh, kind of back-and-forth conversation with reporters. His first public comments, by the way, since Gruden ended up resigning on October 11th, uh, following all those reports. The messages uh, between Gruden, who was employed uh, at the time by ESPN, uh, you know, and uh, then uh, he was, th- those were with uh, Bruce Allen, by the way, from the Washington football team. That, those were the, the, most of the, uh, the emails that were released. Now, uh, this, how, how do you, what do you think about this whole standpoint that the Raiders are taking? Because they're taking, I think, a lot of the same viewpoint that you dis- just did, that I do, that, look, you can't defend John Gruden on this situation as far as what was said. It was so deplorable. It's egregious. You, know, uh-huh. you, can't, you just can't have it, right? He had to go. But then, but then there's a but, right? There's a but that I think Mark Davis – and the Raiders and Raider Nation, you know the deal, right, Nick? Our people yeah. are fired up saying, well, this is kind of ridiculous because all of this went on and there's all this, you know, with, with you know, hundreds of thousands of emails. How is it just that our organization, how is it just that Raider Nation Uh-oh. is the only team that has got, you know, that is that has caught, you know, that has caught hell for this, basically, you know, and and everybody else has just kind of skated clean, except for as you mentioned, of course, Daniel Snyder and uh, the Reds. The at the time, the Redskins, they were fine. But uh, I think, do, is it a legitimate beef? You think that uh, that Raider Nation has and that Mark Davis has? You know, okay, is it a legitimate beef? It might be, but can I have? Can, can I say this, yes. uh, Raiders Nation? Are you listening? Uh-huh. Knock the chip off your shoulder. Relax, okay? Because to be honest with you, I think they did you a favor, all right? I'm just going to say that. I think the team without <laughs> Gruden is going to be better than the team with Gruden. So so don't hold it against anybody. And Davis got off the hook where he didn't have to fire him or pay him the rest of his $10 million deal, okay? <laughs> I actually think that the Raiders are going to be better for this. I really do, and I don't mean that in a in a funny way. I'm chuckling, but the truth of the matter is, in its own perverse way, it's going to help the team. Now, that said, does it appear it's something against the Raiders? Sure, it appears that way. Absolutely. But I don't know. Again, I I would like – the one thing I would love to figure out, like I don't know if it was an against the Raiders deal or did somebody have an axe to grind with John Gruden. That's my question, because if you look at those emails that Gruden, if you read the emails that he sent, 
Um, they're, they're not nice. Let's, I, I'm going to use those words, just not nice. And if he could put that in emails uh, to Allen and such at the, at the Washington football team at the time, the Redskins, mm-hmm. what has he done to others along the way that's maybe ticked them off to the point that those emails are the ones that became public. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying something there. I don't think it's a Raiders axe to grind as much as I thought it was an axe to grind against Gruden. I think you're just flat out spot on when it comes to your analysis regarding uh, how this is all. And look, I'm not laughing, you know, uh, you know, at the situation. I'm just laughing, you know. I'm, uh, you know, tongue in cheek as far as uh, kind of uh, how this is all shaken out regarding. The Raiders and the organization we're dealing with—it's always been kind of an adversarial type of relationship, right? When it comes to the yeah. Raiders and the NFL, and this just kind of adds to it, and kind of just uh, you know even solidifies it even more when you when you kind of think about it, right, Nick? I mean, it's just it's yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, the Raiders have always been at odds with the NFL. You know, when, when Al was in charge, look, he he was always he was always you know, uh, uh, tweaking them. I mean, you know, Al Davis was the was the kid in school that went up to the NFL in the hallway and gave him a wedgie. You know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. That's what he yeah. was. Yes. He was always that guy. So, so when they get a chance to go back, they do. But I, I honestly, in my heart of heart, okay, my my logical brain says this was nothing to do with the Raiders, and it was all about the axe to grind with Gruden. And as I said, I think in the end, in the end. I think you're going to look at it and go, hey, this worked out for us Raiders. So Nick Bonsanto joining us here. He's a nationally syndicated sports radio host based here in Las Vegas with uh, Against the Number Radio, tremendous show over on, on Sports Byline USA Network. And uh, we're talking a little bit about the Raiders, a little bit about the NFL. And uh, Nick Bonsanto, uh, 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 you know, a southern New Jersey guy, right? A Philly, a Philly guy, yeah. okay? And, yeah. Uh, I had got to ask you about the, you know, obviously matchup as the Raiders were able to get a win here at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday against those Philadelphia Eagles. Are you surprised by the way that the Raiders have been able to kind of circle the wagons behind Rich Bisaccia and the rest of the coaching staff and get a couple of wins here in the last couple of weeks after the entire John Gruden thing went down? Is it something that uh, is, has kind of caught you by surprise? Well, I think none of us truly knew what was going to happen when Versace took over. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- none of us, uh, even the team, wasn't certain how they would react. However, to piggyback off of our last conversation about Gruden leaving, uh, I think when you look at this team now, the last two weeks, when you look at the Raiders over the last two weeks, they appear to be having a good time. They appear to be very loose that you always didn't see with Gruden. They have appeared, uh, or not appeared, they have uh, offensively opened it up and and gone up top a lot more than they did under Gruden. And I think, I just have a feeling uh, that this is just going to work out. And yes, we didn't know what was going to happen. Am I a little surprised? Slightly. But do I think that a heavy-handed coach like Gruden sometimes uh, is difficult for players and they're afraid to make a mistake, thus they play tighter. I think that's the case at times. And I think Versace has has 
pulled that little bit of stress off of the backs of the players to say, okay, we're all in this together, and I'm not going to get my rear end chewed out in two minutes by Gruden if I say the wrong thing. And I think that shows in the way they're playing. One man's opinion. So the Raiders, of course, they have a bye week this week, and then they will be in New York, actually in New Jersey, to take on the Giants in a, a road game, a little uh, West Coast to East Coast trek for that squad there. And uh, we'll see whether the Raiders can bounce back and, uh, and get win number three under Rich Passaccia there as the head coach with the Las Vegas Raiders. I want to switch gears as we have uh, Nick only for a few more minutes, but I want to talk a little World Series, Nick. Uh, obviously a matchup between uh, the Houston Astros and the Atlanta Braves going down. First time the Braves have been in, in, in the Fall Classic since in this century, basically. And mm-hmm. uh, a matchup against a team in the Houston Astros looking for a little validation, I think, right? I mean, you t- there's, there's yeah. a number of storylines surrounding the World Series and, and how things have kind of shaken out here. But uh, I, I think, you know, we had a start to the World Series that was a little bit of a surprise last night as, uh, as Atlanta was able to pick up the victory. But uh, you've got to be looking forward to uh, this Fall Classic this year. No, uh, you know, it was a great start to the World Series. I mean, who would have thought, you know, and, and there, there are so many storylines. And, and, you know, I, I'm at a point where I'm actually, I know it will be um, there, there across the bear forever the Astros with what happened in 2017 but that is not the case with this Astros team I don't think it has any place in this series whatsoever it has no bearing on it it is just something they are stuck with forever now but the big thing to me I mean last night I mean think about this think about this Charlie Morton starts the game breaks his leg and throws 16 more pitches. He throws 10. He goes to the dugout, comes back out, throws six more, strikes out Altuve with a fractured leg before he's lifted from the game. That I think I think that's a drop the mic moment on the bloody sock. Nick, myself and Numchuck before the show were talking about this. How are you out there on the dish throwing pitches when your leg is basically, you know, and, and by the way, we talked to uh, Stevie Slapshot before the, the show started also, and he's like, it, 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 had to be, it had to be some kind of hairline, then maybe it got worse, that kind of thing. I mean, I guess, okay. like, I'm not a doctor, but, I mean, really, you're out there with a broken leg, and you're still out there chucking the ball in a Major League Baseball World Series game? I mean, come on now. I mean, that's crazy. He right? threw it over 90 miles an hour yeah. when he came back out after, the, after the, the, uh, the, the inning and came back for the final six pitches. He threw fastballs over 90. Do you know how much you have to, to set with your legs to throw a 90-mile-an-hour pitch? It's, it's, it's unbelievable <laughs> to even think that uh, it's even possible. But, uh, but again, I, as I mentioned at the top of the show, bittersweet, right, for the Atlanta Braves, uh, yourself. Uh, I mean, we look at this team, and it's obviously you get the win in game one, but you don't have the guy that's going to be out there on the hill for possibly two other games in this series, right? You could have had him for game four. Mm-hmm. You probably could have had him for game seven. So it's going to be kind of a circle the wagons moment, right, for the Braves from, their, from, yeah, a, pitch, ab- from a pitching standpoint, I'm saying, to you know, oh, no. throughout the rest of the You're series. Right. No, you're right, Chris, totally right when you say that. And, you know, it was funny. I was talking with uh, Kevin McAlpin on my show from the Braves Radio Network. He does their pre- and post-game. And I was talking to him, 
And, and he brought up something, and now I'm thinking, I guess this is just going to have to happen more than once in the series. He brought up the fact that probably one game in the World Series, depending on how long it went, would have to be a bullpen game. Right. And now I'm thinking they're going to have to pitch a couple of bullpen games. And for whatever reason, that's kind of become chic and in in Major League Baseball, and they seem to get away with that a lot more uh, than normal. And, and I don't know if it's quite as big of a, uh, a handicap as you may think. He's Nick Monsanto. Follow him at Nick B Radio on Twitter. Tremendous nationally syndicated sports radio host with Against the Number Radio every weekday, 3 to 5 p.m. You can catch him on the Sports Byline USA Network. Nick, we really appreciate you spending some time on your Wednesday. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you again soon, okay? Thanks, Chris. Love being here with you. We'll talk again soon. I appreciate it, Nick. Thanks. There you go, Nick Monsanto from Against the Number Radio. Look, I'm telling you. Regardless of, you know, John Gruden, you can't defend the words, okay? But you can look at it from a perspective of the Raiders are a team that just gets just gets under the skin of the NFL. Even now, even now when we're in, a, we're in an era, and uh, looking forward to talking to, to Joe Rigo about this, by the way, coming up uh, after the break. It, it's just, it's, it's amazing kind of the uh, entire relationship thing, right? Regarding the Raiders... In the NFL, and uh, it just continues to raise its head, even in an, in an era now where it, it's been accepted. The teams, not not only the NFL in Vegas has been accepted, but uh, Raider Nation as far as uh, the organization. And uh, there is a little bit of kumbaya regarding the NFL. It is uh, the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live on a Wednesday. I have Chris Wynn in for T.C. Martin. He's live in Houston, Texas, getting set for Game 2 to see if the Astros can bounce back from the loss in Game 1. Much more on the way next. Joe Riga is going to join us live here in studio as we continue on your hump day. Now, back to more of Las Vegas' favorite sports madman, the Dr. T.C. Martin. California. It's a Wednesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live. I'm Chris Wynn in for T.C. Martin. Also, follow the show www.thetcmartinshow.com. Information across the board. You can catch all the archive shows there as well, too. All kinds of tremendous input from the doctor, T.C. Martin, and all his guests that he has on the show. He'll be back on Friday. He is, of course, in Houston for the World Series. His guy, Dusty Baker, up against it right now. Down one game to none in the World Series as the... Uh, Astros and Braves will go at it again tonight in Game 2 of that series. So we'll see if uh, they can even it up heading to the Dirty South, the ATL, for Game 3 of that series. But uh, joined here live in studio, looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun getting a chance to talk to Joe Origo from the franchise Las Vegas. These guys are wired in across the board when it comes to high school sports here in, in Southern Nevada, as well as UNLV. They can talk. They'll talk Raiders. They, they you know, look, they, they go across the board. They have guys over there at the franchise that uh, cover, obviously, VGK. I mean, across the board when it comes to sports here in the Valley, 
These guys are lined up. Joe Rigo joining us here live in studio. Joe, we appreciate the time. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I love I love playing California Love too. I mean, that's where I'm from. So Cali, it is that. Reminds, takes me back to high school. Your original SoCal boy, right? So well, originally Milwaukee, but moved to SoCal okay. at four. All right, and then, yeah. yeah, but California so you were young then when you when you rolled down there. Yeah. So you're I, orig- born Midwest like me. Yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, but raised it raised down there. Uh, in the, in the Southern California area, oh, yeah. so he's the co-founder of the franchise LV podcast, director for uh, SB Nation's uh, Silver and Black Pride podcast network. Uh, he, obviously, he tweets about the Packers as well too. A little bit, uh, a little bit about the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> and by the way, we're going to talk a little Packers because uh, you know there's been some news going down as far as the squad's concerned. But uh, you could follow Joe at Joe Arigo FSM on Twitter. Now there are a couple of big matchups when it comes to college football, Joe. This weekend, a couple of big matchups, uh, in the, or both in the SEC and the Big Ten from a top 20 standpoint. you got the Ohio State-Penn State game. I think Ole Miss is playing Auburn, too, two ranked teams out of the SEC. But focus for a lot of people here in Nevada, obviously, is the battle for the cannon. Yep. As uh, you've got uh, Nevada-Reno taking on UNLV up there for that matchup. And then for us Michiganders, we're kind of pumped up, too, because it's the first time since the late 60s, that both Michigan and Michigan State are ranked in the top 10, and they're facing off against each other in East Lansing this weekend. But uh, a lot of people uh, think that this could be a spot where UNLV can pick up that first W in the Marcus Arroyo era. And how sweet would it be, Joe, if they're able to roll up there and take out the Wolfpack in a, in a game that we obviously know about the rivalry. We know, we know. I mean, it would just be utter ecstasy, wouldn't it, for, you know, Rebel fans and for, obviously, UNLV as a team to be able to go up there and pick up a W. Absolutely. I mean, you figure the last win that they had was when, when Coach Sanchez went up there and, and beat them, and then, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the incident happened and whatnot. And and for Coach Arroyo, I mean, he's more concerned about stacking wins than just getting one win. And what I what I found interesting was Monday I asked him in his press conference, I, you know, mm-hmm. I said, Coach, like, Last year, you kind of downplayed the rivalry and downplayed what it means. And because he, he kind of said, you know, I want to put it towards the end. I'd rather it be at the end of the year because this way it's. But now it's on Nevada Day. And he's like, yeah, this, this is a big deal. Like, and it's not just about winning the Canyon, it's about beating our in state rival. It's about getting the victory. I mean, look, it's been a tough year for the Rebels. Yeah. You know, 0 and 7. But the average loss, other than Iowa State game, is by 5.6 points. They've covered in yeah. in ever they're five and one or or four and zero oh against in the spread. They're, they're, you want to take what you got with them. They're a team that's as soon as they get that first win, I think the program just just really shoots off. Mm-hmm. He's done a great job recruiting. Landed a huge recruit last week in uh, Bobo Masters from from uh, um, Caddy or from Houston, Texas, yeah. Yates High School. He's a top seven hundred player. Turned down Oregon, LSU. I mean, big boys to come to UNLV. What's going to happen when they start winning and then all these recruits come in? So it's just a matter of getting getting the first one. Let's talk about Marcus Arroyo because I'm intrigued by him. You had an opportunity. You've, you've, by the way, your contributions as far as the franchise are great because you have sit-down one-on-ones with people that are imperative across the board, especially, obviously, with UNLV football. You had a chance to sit down with Tate Martell, obviously a, a local guy who is now – a rebel and uh, had a chance to talk to him back in the summer, but you also had a sit down interview with Marcus Roy. You guys went in depth. Okay. This wasn't just about 
his time here at UNLV. This was basically a breakdown, and we got an opportunity to see his life progression, right, as someone who has been able to uh, develop into – uh, an assistant coach, obviously, at the college level, and now he is you know, a first-time head coach here with UNLV. It was, it was intriguing because you know, he went all the way, and he was candid. I mean, Very. he was super candid in this interview that he talked with you. But what was, I mean, what was some of the, kind of the things that surprised you when you got a chance to talk to him regarding his approach to leadership and coaching at the, in the college ranks? Well, I, I think a lot of people get the impression that Coach Arroyo is – kind of arrogant and aloof and unapproachable which I don't I've never got that from him personally mm-hmm. yeah from day one from the press conference until um going through the zoom meetings last year and and trying to get interviews with him because I mean last year was real tough I wanted to do a one-on-one with him mm-hmm. he's always been accommodating to me personally yeah and I, I greatly appreciate that um but you see that he's he comes from a, a background where it's more blue collar. He's more Las Vegas than what people realize. People see the glitz and the glamour and the flash of the strip. Okay, you see that with him, the way he looks, his haircut, his yeah. style. But then you see that he's a blue collar guy. He comes from a town of under 2,000 people. One stoplight, mm-hmm. which the only stoplight is so there's a, a walk, a crosswalk so the kids can go to school. He comes from a broken family. His mom was the, the, the city butcher. I mean, this is a guy that, that literally got into coaching because he wanted to get his degree in sports management and get into either, either being a GM or uh, getting into to representing players. So you get to understand the psychology of, of it. And he just kind of just took the coaching, got the free education, and kept going and going. And all he's done is win. This is the first time that he really hasn't won out of school. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it hasn't had him back down. People told him not to take this job. And he was like, no, this is the reason why I want it, because I want to turn this around. I want to be here for the long term. Um, this isn't just a stopping, stopping ground for me or, or a, a, just a pit stop. He wants to be here long term and build this thing into something that, that can become a football power. And he knows it's going to take time. He knew it wasn't a one- or a two-year deal. He knew that it was a three- or a four-year deal. But no one plan- planned what happened in 2020. So, I mean, that kind of put a monkey wrench into everything. Yeah, he takes an approach that is, uh, I, I don't want to say it's adversarial because it's not really. It's more of an approach that, uh, you know, well, you, you don't think I can do it? Well, let, let me tell you something. I'm going to show you, and, and, we're, and, we're, and I'm going to actually go out there and prove to you that I can do it. That's mm-hmm. like almost the mentality that he takes into this, and, uh, and it's an admiral, you know, uh, a capability to have, right? I mean, there's no question. 100%. That, uh, especially given the scenario here, because look, there there just isn't a whole lot of success history when it comes to UNLV football. Let's be straight up about it. I mean, the history not, is, is yeah. non-successful history. There's no, exactly. the tradition is losing. Mm-hmm. Like, people don't realize this program was one of the bottom three programs across the board before Tony Sanchez took it. Right. Tony elevated it as far as got the city to buy in and invest in it. With the Fertitta complex mm-hmm. and Coach Royal now Marcus has turned around and and added that next layer to it, which is developing the culture of a, of a winning program, and he's done so. And, and quite honestly, he said it in the interview. And I was this is the, the the main thing I took away from the interview that I was really surprised he talked about publicly was he lost two children since he's been a coach. Right. Like as a father who also lost a, a child at one in, in 2020, yeah. mm-hmm. right. Like, for you to be able to talk about that and be candid about that and re- talk about your self-reflection and how it affected you and how you had to change your approach to things, 
that shows what kind of person he is. And to be very frank, on Monday in his press conference, um, he was asked about his team and the, how they're you know continuously getting up from being punched in the face. Mm-hmm. He got emotional and almost broke down because he's so proud of the of the team continuously fighting. This isn't like UNLV teams in the past. Chris, you and I have been on the sideline in past years, Mm -hmm. especially uh, at at Sam Boyd. Mm -hmm. And you've seen the attitude of the kids. Oh, we're down, we're loose, oh, we suck, whatever. This team doesn't have that. This team is, they're literally on the sideline. They're talking with each other. Coaches are talking. They're talking about what they need to do to turn it around. Coach has done a great job of creating a culture. Now it just comes down to getting that win. And to be Honest, like the interview itself, it it went way better than what I even had hoped for or even a, a dreamed of and imagined. And, and I'm very grateful because it's, it's the side of him that nobody else sees. Yeah. And uh, look, you sit, you sat down with prominent people over there at UNLV. <coughs> Excuse me. You also sat down with uh, the interim driver, Eric Harper, right? Yep. Discussing this situation. Now, this is something obviously that uh, UNLV alum, uh, people here in town, are very intrigued by and are interested in regarding who's going to be that next person, right? Right. Obviously, you know, Des, uh, uh, Desiree Reed Francois moves on. She goes to Missouri, and uh, and it's it's kind of been a situation where a lot of us, i got to be quite honest with you, even in the sports media here in Vegas, have no idea whatsoever what the next move is going to be, who the next person is going to be. What is your perspective on that, and in and, and what direction do you think that uh, UNLV as a whole is going to go when it comes to the athletic director position there? You know, I think it can go in two, di- two di- different directions. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think, one, you can bring in a, go- a person who has been there, done that before, who has some West Coast ties, and can navigate getting UNLV to a Power 5 conference where they need to be, period, point blank. Right. They've checked off all the boxes except for winning on the football field and basketball has to get get – their winning tradition back, but they checked off all the boxes academically, facility-wise, across the board. Or they can go with somebody that's been in the department, that knows the city, that's tied in with the city, that can get the power brokers in the city to buy in and help them, then help him get them to that Power 5 conference. That person, if I'm referring to, could be Eric Harper, who we sat down with. Harper has been around the program since Tina Kunzer Murphy. Mm -hmm. He came from Arizona, um, also Kansas State, where he also was a football player. He's worked in every department from compliance to academics to marketing. So he knows how to deal with the people in those departments. He's a great listener. And he actually has ideas that he wants to implement that would really help the program and become a global a global brand because they're not just a local brand. They're not a normal G5 school. Mm-hmm. I mean, growing up in, in, in the L.A. area, Saturday nights on a, a Channel 9 down there was Mountain West basketball, or not Mountain West, it was West Coast Conference basketball, right. and it was Tark. Yeah. So we grew up UNLV fans. Mm-hmm. You look at rappers and entertainers. And oh, other, absolutely. Like Sinatra, yeah. I mean, was helping Tark for how long? You got I mean, the logo floating around out there for all of that. Exactly. You know, so so you, that's, it's a global brand, so you mm-hmm. got to have someone that understands that and understands UNLV is important. Mm-hmm. It is a school that has, there is a tradition here. And they also have to build build a different tradition now. And you mentioned, of course, uh, Eric Hart. By the way, uh, by the way, one of what fifty eight, I believe, uh, African American yes. athletic directors around the country. So that uh, that's a small group, folks, out there. But you mentioned some of the things that he would do. What are some of those uh, those uh, aspects that he would implement 
regarding you know uh, improving relations with the program. Okay, let, let's let's be honest about this. <laughs> UNLV has done a horrible job, yeah. horrible job in terms of welcoming back the legends of their program, mm-hmm. welcoming back Larry Johnson and Greg Anthony and Anderson Hunt, mm-hmm. Stacy Ogman. Even it took this long to get Freddie Banks' number and jersey retired. Yeah. Like, Freddie should have been one of the first people, in all honesty. Um, so he has a, a plan. In, he, wants to, he wants to welcome back. He wants to f- welcome those people back without asking them for anything. Right. Because every time they get asked back, it's like, hey, Chris, yeah, give me a couple bucks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and for, for Harp, he doesn't want that. It's come uh-huh. back. Yeah. Come back and let us, let us promote you. Let us put you on the big screen at T and M, sitting in Gucci Row, and give you your flowers. Let you let you let you get the praise that you've earned and deserve. But down the road, yeah, we're going to ask you for something, yeah. and that's just that's just the way it works. But the first few times, he says no. He said it in the interview, like we're not going to ask you for anything. He wants to get the get the players and even the legends of UNLV in the community more to help the school because again, the image of the school is. It's just UNLV. Right. It's not like when, okay, well, Dr. Dre and, and Jimmy Iovine donated a billion dollars to USC for their music department. Mm-hmm. Well, why can't we get some of the property to donate some money to the athletic department to make sure these kids for their NIL deals have everything they need and they don't have to go anywhere. They can, they're, they're right there. I think that falls on the properties and the people, the power brokers in town. They need to understand that. And I, I know something I talked about with Harper, the football program can be phenomenal. That could be your cash cow. And every major program, you know, as well, well as it I Well, it should do. be the cash cow. Exactly. In, in, in any university, given, you know, the, the ability from a revenue standpoint to generate in the sport of football. And let's say football, football is winning, and, and because of that, they get to, let's say, hypothetically, the Pac-12. Right. Right? They make it a Pac-12. Which would be the ideal situation. It'd be, I think it would be the only situation, right. to be honest. Mm-hmm. And they go to the Pac-12, and the TV deal comes into play, and let's say they're getting $25, 30000000 million a year. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell me that's not going to build more, more buildings down there on Maryland Parkway for education. That's not going to help them get an indoor or an enclosed practice facility for football. Or that's not going to help the softball team or the golf team or the tennis team or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the benefit of it. And I think Harper has a very good understanding of it. And some of the people that are rumored, that are you know, behind the scenes being rumored, that are, have interest, have those same ideas. But I think it all comes down to one thing. Is the city going to buy in and put money where their mouth is like they did with Tark in, in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and in early 90s? Are they going to do that for this, this, this athletic group, for this football team, this basketball team, this athletic department? That remains to be seen. Joe Rigo's joining us here live in studio. We're uh, talking a little bit of UNLV sports and UNLV football as we get set for the uh, big-time rivalry game up in Reno coming up on Friday night. You can follow him at Joe Rigo FSM. On Twitter, he's the co-founder of the Franchise LV podcast, and uh, he can talk about everything across the board. We're going to talk some Raiders later on, a little bit more NFL, yeah. uh, but uh, we're kind of talking a little bit about uh, the state of UNF- UNLV athletics. You talked about the perception. Let's put all our cards on the table, to use a Vegas phrase, when it comes to the UNLV sport uh, athletic department, the way it's viewed, Okay. The way, in my opinion, is viewed, and look, I don't have a dog in the fight. I've covered the team for over a decade here in sports radio uh, across the board, whether it's the baseball team, women's basketball, uh, you know, men's basketball, football, etc. 
I, I, when I think of UNLV, it's still a, oh, we're hearkening back to the old days, you know, of the 90s. Yep. We think of UNLV, immediately comes to mind, obviously, is the national championships. It's the great teams back in the 70s, the 80s, and early 90s, right? You talked about uh, the cultural impact that has had regarding UNLV sports uh, across the board. You mentioned Anderson Hunt. Anderson Hunt I'm personal friends with, uh, a guy who's from Michigan, like myself. We've talked about this. I mean, it, it was a, a, a lot of minority, the minorities in, in America, okay, were UNLV fans across the country. It wasn't just here on the West Coast. It wasn't just in Nevada. We're talking about across the country. I went to college in Massachusetts, okay, and there was a lot of people, okay, and not just not just African Americans, not just uh, Hispanic Americans. It was it was you know people across the board who were UNLV fans because of those basketball teams. Let's be straight up about it. It wasn't because of Randall Cunningham. It wasn't because of Icky Woods. Okay, it wasn't. You know what I'm yeah, saying? 100%. It was because of the basketball program that was so you know it was absolutely uh, on the forefront of sports fans' minds. Right. And so I think it makes it difficult, right? Because you're trying to make a transition from a, uh, a program that was, in the 90s, was massively relevant to now where you're just trying to get back into the mix from a relevancy standpoint that UNLV is trying to do. 100%. That, was, yeah. that, that team that, that Tark had with, with LJ, and that was the mm-hmm. best team I've ever seen in college basketball. That's right. the best college basketball team in history. I mean, you've got opinion. Ogden, you've got, yeah, obviously, Anderson, you mentioned. So I mean, across the board. Across the board, yeah. Okay. With, our, I think, one of the two or three greatest coaches ever. I think it's him, Dean Smith, and John Wooden. Mm-hmm. And then you have – and then Krzyzewski as well. Now, the biggest problem I have when it comes to, to UNLV is there's no middle ground. There's no bridge. You have the older people who are our parents or our grandparents that, that were around mm-hmm. that know and understand and love the, that, that team in the history with Hart. And then there's a whole – there's like a gap. And the yeah. young kids have no idea about it, and they don't give two rat poot nannies about it. Yeah, they don't. You know, they're they're like yeah. they just suck at football, and they just they suck at basketball. Like that's that's what you get from. And it's there has to be a bridge, and there's a few people in town that could be the bridge, but y'all, but that also comes from educating. You have to educate them on the history of it, and that's where you that's why you sit down and you talk with someone like Coach Arroyo, or you talk with former coaches, former players, because. And then you understand why they're so they're so frustrated with the state of athletics. And let's be real. It starts at the top. I think Dr. Whitfield is the first president in a very long time that gives a damn about athletics mm-hmm. and, gives, and understands that football has to win. Yeah. And, and he understands that it's, it, you can't be in ivory tower school without having good, a good football program. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of similarities, Chris. And I know I talked this to you way back in the day of the University of Miami before Howard Snellenberger got right. there, mm-hmm. the same type of environment. Yeah, so no question about it. And uh, it's going to be intriguing, to say the least, to see how this transition goes as far as UNLV, because I think they can get there, Joe. I'm sure you do. And Numchuck, I'm sure he does too, thinks that UNLV, they can make the transition to being a big time school again when it comes to the athletic front. Joe Riga, join us here live in studio. Hour one's in the books, folks. The TC Martin Show. I'm Chris Wynn in for TC today. On the other side, going to break down the game. It's coming up Friday. Uh, big time, obviously, in state matchup. Nevada taking on UNLV up there in Reno. Going to talk to Joe about uh, some of the personnel decisions being made and uh, what's going to happen on the field coming up this weekend. It's the TC Martin Show coming your way live on a Wednesday. We'll be back right after this.